and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Through the grace of God, we will study tonight chapter 8 from the Gospel of St. Matthew. Let me give you a summary of the chapter. Uh, in this chapter, chapter actually, we will study the nature and the purpose of the miracles performed by our Lord Jesus Christ, the true physician and the true healer of our souls, bodies, and spirits. Also, we will see how the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled the law and the prophets. As he said in the Sermon on the Mountain, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. So in this chapter, we will see how the Lord Jesus Christ actually has fulfilled the law. Also, we will learn about the cost of discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple and what is the cost of discipleship? Actually, in the Gospel of St. Matthew, there are many discourses. The first discourse was the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. From chapter 8 to chapter 10, verse 4, this actually is considered the second narrative section of the gospel. In this section, actually, we have just stories of miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ performed. In these two chapters, there are actually ten miracles uh, that happened either in the town of Capernaum or by the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Six of the ten miracles are mentioned in chapter 8. Tonight we'll study these miracles. The cleansing of a leper, healing of the centurion's servant, healing of Simon Peter, mother-in-law, healing of the people who were possessed by demons and the sick, and how we see in, in this miracle the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4. Number five, calming of the storm at the sea. And the last miracle is healing of the Gadarene uh, demonicals. So let's start verse by verse from verse 1 in chapter 8. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Apparently people, after his discourse, after the sermon on the mountain, they were touched by his teaching, so they start to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, 
Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So this is actually the first miracle from verse 1 to verse 4. Why St. Matthew recorded these miracles to us? Because not only the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ was remarkable, but also his miracles also were very, very remarkable. And these miracles actually tended to confirm beyond a doubt the impression that the people got after they heard the Sermon on the Mountain. The impression that they got as we read in chapter 7, this person is different than all the teachers of the law. Different from the scribes and the Pharisees. He teaches with authority. He teaches with authority. So, could this man be the Messiah? And then after the sermon, St. Matthew recorded to us these miracles to confirm it that indeed this man actually is the Messiah. This man is the Messiah. And as I told you, great multitude attended the sermon on the mountain and because they were attracted by his teaching, so they followed him. But a leper also came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to understand some important points about leprosy. Leprosy, from medical point of view, is a very contagious and actually hopeless disease. It begins as a skin disease and also is it does lead to death, leads to death. Eventually, the man who has leprosy will die. And according to the law of Moses, leprosy was considered also uncleanness, spiritually unclean. The man who had leprosy is considered spiritually unclean. And why God actually considered, or in the law of Moses, made leprosy as spiritually unclean? For two reasons. The first reason, to teach the people the concept of uncleanness. If a person is impure because of sin, this means it is very contagious, it will spread to others, and also it leads to death exactly like lepros, leprosy. So the Lord wanted actually through this disease to teach the people about how serious sin is. Sin is very contagious and also it leads to death. The second reason at that time medicine in the Old Testament, medicine was not advanced, especially during their journey in the wilderness of Sinai. 
Can you imagine if one person has leprosy and this disease starts to spread among the children of Israel? All of them would die in the wilderness of Sinai. So God wanted to protect them. So he gave this spiritual element to the disease in order also to protect the people from this destructive disease. That's why, according to the law of Moses, a man who has leprosy should be separated from the people. And actually, he should cry and say, I am a leper, leper, or I have leprosy. So the people stay away from him. And also, nobody was allowed to touch a man with leprosy. And it was given, as I explained, a spiritual dimension. But the main reason, because if I touch a man with leprosy, I will catch the disease. And the disease will start to spread. And if a man touched another man with leprosy, he will be considered impure until he present himself to the priest. And God actually gave to the priest symptoms of healing and symptoms of the, the disease. So the priests were able to diagnose the disease and also to diagnose the healing, to say whether this man is sick with leprosy or he is healed from leprosy. So this man came to the Lord Jesus Christ with faith. And he told him, I know if you are willing, if this is your will, you can make me clean. And actually I like in this man that he put the will of God in the beginning. He didn't tell him, God, I want to be cleansed. He told him, if this is your will, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And all of us who can learn from this man, even if we have a request from God, any request, let us say, God, if you are willing, if this is your good will, thy will be done, not my will be done. But I want to tell you another important point. This man did not suffer only from the physical illness, which is leprosy, but also he suffered emotionally from isolation. He felt rejected. Can you imagine a person never was not allowed to be touched at all and to stay in isolation and separation from the rest of the people? So this man actually suffered from loneliness, feeling of rejection, besides the illness. And how wonderful our Lord Jesus Christ in healing him he could heal him with a word from his mouth. But we read that he stretched out his hand and touched him. I think this man was in great need of this touch, maybe more than the healing. 
this touch made him feel accepted, not rejected, loved, not isolated, not separated. And here actually you can see our Lord Jesus Christ not only a healer of our spirit, because this considered as a spiritually unclean, and our bodies, because he healed him from leprosy, but also our souls. He is the true physician of our souls, bodies, and spirit. He paid attention to his soul and the feeling being rejected for a long time. That's why he stretched his hand and touched him. Also, the Lord Jesus Christ, by touching him, of course, he is not violating the law of Moses, which prohibits to touch a, a leper person. But the Lord here wants to say that this man actually is completely cured. And the fact that he is healed, I'm touching him. I'm not afraid to catch the disease. And also to show that he has authority over diseases. Diseases actually cannot attack the Lord Jesus Christ, but he can heal any person from his illness. So touching the man means he heals him emotionally and psychologically, also to show his authority over diseases, and also to show that this man also already completely cured. But as I explained, the man who has leprosy, if he is healed, he has to go and present himself to the priest for the priest to confirm his healing and also to offer the sacrifices according to a sacrifice of gratefulness and thanksgiving that God healed him according to the law of Moses. And the leper could not enter society or be among people until the priest declared he is healed, that the leper man is healed. But why God told him, don't tell anyone? Actually, in some miracles we see the Lord Jesus Christ says, go and tell others. In other miracles, he tells the person, don't tell anyone. In my personal opinion, actually, the Lord knew if in this city people will accept the miracle and will believe in him, so he would say to the person, go and tell others. If people don't have faith enough to believe in him, that's why the Lord tells him, don't tell to others. But in order to fulfill the law of God and to make proper acknowledgement by an offering, the Lord told him, go and show yourself to the priest and get the testimony of the priest that you are completely cured to prove to the people that your healing is genuine and then you can be accepted among the people and in the society.
Second miracle, starting from verse 5. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Let me stop here. Actually, the Lord returned to the place that he made his home, Kabrinaum. So, after the sermon on the mountain, and after healing the leper, he went to his home, which was in Kabrinaum. And then a centurion. Centurion means a commander of 100 men in the Roman armies. Commander of 100 men. And a centurion is a Gentile, not Jewish. Why? At that time, Judea was a Roman province under the occupation of the Romans. So in every city, a garrison was kept there to preserve the people in subjection to the Roman Empire. So this man, most probably he was pagan by birth, a Gentile by birth. He was not a Jewish. And actually, this centurion had a kind heart. Because most of the masters dealt harshly with their servants or their slaves. At that time, slavery was common. But this man, when his servant was sick, because of the kindness of his heart, Maybe he heard about the Lord Jesus Christ and the miracles that he performed. So this centurion came and asked the Lord about his servant who was sick. And as he said to him, he just, he didn't tell him even come and heal him. He, he just told him that, the, what his servant is suffering from. Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And again, there is another lesson here, how to submit to the will of God. Many times when we present our request to God, we present it with the solution. God, my brother is sick, please come and heal him. But in this case, actually, the centurion he just told him, my servant is sick. He's dreadfully tormented. And then actually, thy will be done. If you want to heal him, let it be so. If not, that's also acceptable to me. Thy will be done. Uh, and also, he was a Gentile, but he had faith, as we'll see. He had strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And that's why because of his strong faith, God who searches the heart, he searched his heart. And because of his faith, he actually heard his prayer and listened to his request. And Jesus did not tell him, I will come and see him. But he promised that I will come and cure him. I will come and cure him. And this actually was a proposal from the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe more than what the centurion expected. Maybe the centurion, all what he expected, that this Jewish leader to tell him, I will pray for your son. And that's it. Or maybe I will heal him from here. But definitely he did not expect that this Jewish leader to come all the way and to go to his house to cure this uh, servant. And as we say in the divine liturgy, that God gives us more than what we ask, expect, or understand. Yes, the answer of the Lord Jesus Christ was short, short. But actually, this short answer did not show only that Christ is willing to do good to the centurion, but also that it is an answer full of kindness, compassion, mercy, love, understanding, and a promise of cure and healing. This miracle was mentioned also in Luke chapter 7, verse 6. And we understand from Luke 7, verse 6, that the centurion answered the Lord Jesus Christ through friends whom he had sent for this purpose. So he sent his friends to make like intercession on his behalf before the Lord Jesus Christ. So how he replied to the offer of the Lord Jesus Christ. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. This answer actually is full of humbleness and humility. Maybe in his heart he knew that he is a Gentile. And because of this he is worshipper of idols as a pagan. So maybe in his conscience he knows that he is unworthy that a, a Jewish rabbi come and visit him. Especially, strict Jews 
did not hold the social association with Gentiles. And definitely the centurion supposed that a holy Jewish leader like the Lord Jesus Christ would hesitate to come under his roof. That's why he told him, no, don't trouble yourself. I am unworthy that you come under my roof. Just to speak only a word. And I believe that if you only mentioned a word, my servant will be healed. And we can see here how his faith is more than the faith of Mary and Martha when their brother Lazarus was sick. Martha actually expressed to the Lord Jesus Christ if he would be there, her brother wouldn't die. So Martha actually did not believe that Jesus can heal her brother from afar off. But this centurion actually believed that the Lord Jesus Christ can heal the servant even from afar without going to the house. Yes, indeed, the faith of this centurion was great. He, he had full confidence in the ability of the Lord Jesus Christ to heal his servant. And just, he requested the Lord just to make the command, to give the order, just heal him, and that's it. I'm not expecting from you more than this. And actually he made a very uh, nice comparison. He told him, I am as a soldier, centurion, had people under my authority. If I give command to my, one of my servants, he will do it. So you, actually, who has greater authority than me, then you should have also authority over the diseases. And you just can make a command and my servant will be healed. As if he was saying, if men obey me, who am an inferior officer to you, how much more shall diseases obey you? You are the original source of power, and you have control over all things. Verse... Uh, then, when Jesus heard it, he marveled. He was surprised at the answer of the centurion and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Actually, in the scripture, there are two cases, two situations in which it was mentioned that the Lord Jesus Christ was marveled or marveled. Here in Matthew chapter 8 and the second situation in Mark chapter 6 verse 6. Here in Matthew chapter 8, he marvels at the faith of, the, of a Gentile. In Mark chapter 6 verse 6, he marveled at 
the unbelief of the Jews. So the Jewish people who were expected to believe, they did not believe. And this means the Lord Jesus Christ to marvel or to be surprised. And the Gentiles who were not expected to believe, they believed. So here we can see the greatness of the faith of the centurion. How he perceived the Lord Jesus Christ as almighty, all-powerful. And the Lord testified about him that in all Israel he did not find faith similar to the faith of this Gentile. This reminds me with another story. The woman of Canaan in Matthew chapter 15 who was also a Gentile and the Lord actually commended the greatness of her faith. And here the Lord Jesus Christ took occasion from the faith of this Roman centurion to state actually this conversion would not be solitary. The conversion of this centurion to believe in Jesus, this will not be just a single case or a sporadic case. But many pagans, many Gentiles from east and west would be converted to the gospel and be saved as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why he said in verse 11, and I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And actually you can see Christianity is spread mainly among the Gentiles. Most of the Christians nowadays, and from the first century actually, from pagan background, not all the Jews believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord said they will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, Jesus came first to his own, to his own people, to the Jews, will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the Lord here, when he said from east and west, he did not mean those who are geographically far away, but he meant those who are far away spiritually, either the Argentiles or the Jews. And actually, this verse scares me personally. Because now we are the children of the kingdom. But if we don't accept this gift of salvation that God gave to us, and if we don't walk worthy of this calling, actually, people may come from other religions, other background, and join Christianity and be saved and 
some people from the children of the kingdom, those who are Christian, because of their rejection to the gift of salvation, and because they refused to walk worthy of the calling by which they were called, maybe, God forbid, they will not have uh, inheritance with Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. This is exactly what happened to the Jews. The Jews were the natural children, the biological children of Abraham. And actually, according to the promises, they were the heirs of the promises made to Abraham, but they rejected the Messiah. That's why they will not be saved unless they accept the Messiah, the Messiah in whom all the promises were fulfilled. And then the Lord gave us an image of the future punishment, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the Lord said to the centurion, as we read in verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. So this centurion believed that the Lord Jesus Christ could heal his servant by speaking the word. And at the moment this word was spoken, the servant was made well. Then let's come to the third miracle in this chapter, verse 14. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. This is the third uh, miracle. This miracle also was mentioned in Mark chapter 1, verse 29, and in Luke chapter 4, verse 38. The miracle here was direct and complete. He touched her and he healed her. So she was restored, and as a clear evidence that she was healed, that she served them. She attended to their needs, and she served them. And from this verse, we know that Peter was married, that St. Peter was married. Then the fourth miracle, verse 16. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word. And he healed all who were sick. So it is counted as one miracle, but we can see many miracles actually. Many people were healed in this verse, not only one person. And the word, all that were brought to him, he healed. This actually shows the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ over diseases. And here in this verse we have two types of illness. The sick, those who were diseased in the body, and demon-possessed, those who were spiritually 
diseased. According to the Gospel of St. Mark chapter 1, this miracle occurred on the evening of the Sabbath. After the sunset of Sabbath happened. Because according to the Jewish law, any day was calculated from the evening to the evening. So actually according to the Jewish now were considered Sunday. Why they start from evening? Because in Genesis chapter 1, each day of the creation, it was mentioned the evening and the morning. So the ritual day, the ritual day, start with darkness but end with light. Start with evening and end with light. And on the Sabbath, actually people couldn't bring their sick to be healed, as we read in Luke chapter 13, verse 14. So as soon as, soon as the Sabbath is over and the evening of Sunday starts, so the people come and bring their sick to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we, hear, we read here, when evening had come why when evening had come because sabbath now is over so now it's the evening of sunday so people can bring their sick to be healed and saint matthew because he wrote to the jews in every opportunity he he want to prove to the jews that jesus is the messiah that's why he quote a verse from Isaiah chapter 53 to prove that Jesus is the Messiah whom they were expecting. So in verse 17 he said that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And this verse actually from Isaiah 53 verse 4. And St. Matthew here proves to us that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies in all respects. Verse 18, actually now there is uh, some verses speak about discipleship, the cost of discipleship. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side, other side of the sea. He commanded them, let us depart to the other side of the sea. Apparently, the multitude had gathered to listen to his sermon and to his teaching and to behold his miracles. And the sea was not far, was just six miles away, six miles, sorry, wide. So, it was easy for them to cross the sea. And the Savior often crossed it in order to secure retirement and refuge. Uh, and there was no deep recesses in the eastern hills, no towns along its banks corresponding to those in the plain of Gennesaret. 
so the Lord asked them, let us cross to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe actually went to the Lord Jesus Christ. Scribe means those who were transcribing the uh, scripture. Verse 19, then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. This scribe actually, we can assume that this man came with this desire to be a disciple to the Lord Jesus Christ with good intention and with good heart. But from the answer of the Lord Jesus Christ, from his reply to him, and as I told you, Jesus is God who searches our hearts. So the Lord knew his heart. And now from the answer of the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that this scribe didn't have the right motives. Didn't have the right motives. How the Lord replied to him, in verse 20, and Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So, maybe this man, this scribe, when he saw the miracles that Jesus did, and he observed the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ among the people and how his fame spreads quickly. And as a scribe, because he knows the scripture very well. So maybe he thought this is for sure the Messiah. And if this is the Messiah, if I join him, this will promise me easier life, honor, dignity, wealth. Especially in their mind, the Messiah was an earthly king. So if I joined him and became one of his close disciples, actually, I will get a high place in the kingdom. So, maybe this was his motive. And that's why he made a very, very quick decision. I will follow you. And he did not wait until God calls him, as he called Peter and Andrew and James and John. And he offered himself, I am coming to be one of your disciples, one of your apostles. Uh, and we can see how he made a very quick decision without knowing what is the cost of discipleship, without calculating the cost, what does it mean to follow Christ? So, the Lord here, by his answer when he told him, uh, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Actually, this answer, we cannot say that the Lord rejected his offer. 
We cannot say that the Lord refused this man to be one of his followers. But the Lord wanted actually to make him aware of what he should expect. Don't expect an easy life. If you want to be one of my disciples and one of my apostles, you are not called for easy life, for dignity, for honor. No, actually. You will face many hardships and tribulations. So he told him, even I don't have a place to lay my head. So I cannot promise my disciples uh, an easy life. I don't have the, the, the animals and the birds have place to sleep and to rest, but me, I don't have. So if you want to follow me, you should not expect a life better than what I'm going through. Me, Jesus, going through. And maybe we don't know what happened, but most probably this scribe went away. And some father said, when the Lord said, foxes have nests, the Lord meant in your heart. Foxes have holes in your heart. Bird of the air have nests in your heart. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head in your heart. So sins, evil thoughts have place in your heart. But me, the Son of Man, I don't have place in your heart. Then another follower, as we read in verse 21, then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. This man actually, we can interpret let me bury my father, we can interpret it in two ways. The first way, maybe his father was already dead and he wished to attend the funeral of his father and maybe observe the last rites. And actually, the church doesn't accept this view as the correct view. But if this view is the correct one, then when the Lord told him, let the dead bury their own dead, the Lord meant to teach him that to serve the Lord and to follow the Lord is higher than any earthly duty, even to bury a father. And if you prefer any earthly duty over following the Lord, this means you are putting following the Lord as at a lower or inferior place than any earthly duty. But the view that's most acceptable in the church, that the disciples asked the Lord Jesus Christ to remain at home and to stay with his family until his father's death and until bury his father and then to follow Jesus Christ. And that's actually the most acceptable view. And when the Lord told him, let the dead bury their own dead, the Lord want to teach him that 
loving a father or a mother more than Jesus Christ then actually makes this person unworthy of him. What did the Lord mean by let the dead bury their own dead? Speaking here about two types of death, natural death and spiritual death. If natural death is the separation of the body and soul, spiritual death is the separation of God and the soul. Men, men who live in sin are dead to God. So he, he, as if he told him, let those who are spiritually dead bury those who are naturally dead. When he told him, let the dead bury their own dead, the first one, those who are spiritually dead. Second one, those who are naturally dead. Then the fifth miracle in this chapter, we read it in verse 23. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Uh, here we can see that a violent storm was so strong to endanger the, the life of the disciples. And maybe the Lord Jesus Christ was weary, that's why he slept calmly in the boat. And although there was a very, very strong storm, risky storm, but the Lord had peace and he slept. And this actually was teaching the disciples how one can sleep with pure conscience and feel safe in the hands of God even if the whole world is troubled around him. And maybe this storm was from Satan. Satan actually, who is the prince of the power of the air, when he saw Jesus and the disciples in one vessel, in one boat, so he wanted to drown all of them uh, in order actually to defeat the purpose of God. Because Satan actually was attacking Christ knowing that he is God or doubting that he is God. And by drowning Jesus and all the disciples in the sea, Satan thus, he prevent the salvation of the world. And here the disciples' language reflect how they were very, very afraid. 
they said to the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Lord, save us. We are perishing. Lord, save us. We are perishing. And actually, this storm represents the trials that and the hardships we face in our life. And when our faith gets weak in the time of tribulation, then actually we'll be in danger of perishing. That's why the prayer, Lord save us, or Lord increase our faith, it is a very important prayer when we go through difficult time or hardships or we feel there is a storm in our life. And in order actually for the Lord to calm them down, he has to calm the sea because it is like a cause and effect. The cause here is this storm and the effect they become fearful. So in order actually to calm them down, he actually, the Lord, uh, rebuked the sea and the sea calmed down. And we can see here how one word of the Lord Jesus Christ changed the face of nature. And in this chapter we show, we, 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 we read about the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ over evil spirit, over nature, and also over diseases. And until now, in the 21st century, man doesn't have authority over diseases or over evil spirits or over nature. But one word of the Lord Jesus Christ calmed down the storm and also uh, uh, calmed the troubled souls of the apostles. And he told them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? That's why we need to pray during the time of storm. I'm not speaking about physical storm, but any storm in our life to ask God to increase our faith. People were astonished, were marveled, and actually they said who this man could be because they never saw a storm calm down into a perfect calm just by one word of a person. So they start to say, who is this man? And I'm sure in their hearts they said, could this man be the Christ? Then let's come to the last miracle in this chapter, the sixth miracle in this chapter, verse 28. When he had come to the other side, to the country, of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? These words were not the word of the two men, but the demons spoke on their mouths. 
Gergesa, this city has been identified on the east shore of Galilee. The steep place and tombs are still, still seen until now. It was a village in the district of the Gadarenes. The Lord landed here after the storm, and the tombs were caves, natural caves, and some of them were artificial, cut in the rock of the hillside. So this was a suitable place for a shelter. People who are possessed with demons, this a kind of spiritual illness. Evil spirits took possession of people and controlled them. Why? Because these people lived in pure life, in sin. So sin prepared the way for the entrance of the demon into these people. And when a person is demon-possessed, the demons control the actions of this person. Even they control his tongue and they can speak on his tongue as we saw here. The demons recognized the Lord Jesus Christ because they told him, Son of God. They said, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? And listen to this. Have you come here to torment us before the time? The word torment us means they expected the final triumph of Jesus Christ over Satan. And then actually they said to the Lord Jesus Christ, as we read in verse 30, now a good way off from them there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him saying, if you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of the swine. This actually area was part of the Jewish uh, land. And according to the law, swine is considered unclean animals. And the Jewish law prohibited the Jews from actually tending to swine. Uh, so having swine in this area was a clear violation of the law of God. The demons asked the Lord Jesus Christ, they told him, if you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. Permit us to go away means they know that Jesus has the absolute power over them. They are not only asking his permission, by asking also the, the power of Jesus to allow them to leave this man and to enter into the swine. Then actually, in verse 32, we read that Jesus, and he said to them, go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violent, violently down 
the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. And maybe we wonder why God actually allowed the demons to enter into the swine. Why did he allow this? Actually, the Lord wants to show the people what the demons would do to these men if they continued to be possessed by the demons. So, here actually the Lord wanted to show us what rage they would exercise, the demons would exercise on the people whom they possess if they le left to their liberty and their malice. Also, perhaps the loss of the swine was a punishment because as I told you, this was a clear violation to the law of God. They could not actually have uh, a swine according to the Jewish law because the swine was unclean animals according to the Jewish law. So as if the Lord telling them evil works and violation of the law of God leads to destruction. Verse 33 and 34, last two verses in the chapter. Then those who kept them fled. The shepherds of the swine fled. And they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him, to depart from their region. The shepherds were amazed at the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why they asked the Lord to leave their city? Maybe they feared a further destruction. They lost their swine, and maybe they feared a further destruction of the city. They know that they violated the law of God. And they know that losing the swine was a judgment of heaven because they kept forbidden animals. And they feared more destruction. That's why they asked the Lord Jesus Christ to leave their city. And actually there is a lesson to us. Unfortunately, some people prefer to keep their swine, to keep their sins, more than keeping the Lord Jesus Christ. They ask the Lord Jesus Christ to leave their hearts because they want to keep their sins. They desire the Lord Jesus Christ to depart out of their heart and will not allow the word of Christ to have place in them because the Lord Jesus Christ and his word will destroy their sins and their lusts. This actually concluded chapter 8 and the six miracles in chapter 8.